It's good to see everybody here this morning. Last night we had an event to uh, say thanks to all of our volunteers here at OCC who serve, people who volunteer. And according to our latest count, we have 197 adult volunteers serving in a variety of ways. And we had an amazing Hawaiian barbecue last night and a luau. It was a great time and just a great time to honor the Lord and to thank Him for what He's been doing through us. And it, it was just a fun a fun uh, time as a church family to come together. And we, we, we push, I'd say fairly hard as, as a group, we push forward towards some uh, major initiatives and you know, efforts to reach out to our community. And our, our calendar year tends to really ramp up from about September through around May-ish. And so this was sort of a, a celebration near the end of a very busy uh, season of church life for us. And so it was intended to refresh, and, and I, hope, I hope it did. And uh, today we're looking at how to pick up the pieces and rebuild after we experience unwanted events in our lives. And th- those are the real storms of our lives. So I want to pray, and then we'll, we'll, we'll launch in. So let's pray together. Father, right now we just we, we stop once again and we just acknowledge your presence here. God, we ask you, uh, Lord God, you are the God of the universe. You made all things. And so, God, we ask you to speak to us, Lord. We thank you that you're, you are a, a powerful God and you're a personal God. And with your great power, you, you put on display your power. It's so many different points in history. It's, it's constantly on display as we look up at the heavens. Uh, but then we see your personal interaction with people. Lord, as we look at, your, at, the, at the Bible, and it says, as we begin to recognize your voice and, and learn how you speak to us, God, we see your personal God. You, you care about each one of us. And so, God, right now I pray that you would communicate very uh, specifically to us, God, just uh, the, the truths that we need to hear and understand. We, we invite you to do that, God. We, we ask you, God, to uh, clear out the thoughts and the distractions, Lord, the things that we've got in store for the day, and help us just to hear from you, God, as we look in your word and as we wrestle with your truth, Lord, help, it to, uh, help us to be people who would be responsive and soft in our hearts towards what you have to say. We ask for your help right now in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, we have a picture of a storm up here and a guy kind of floating like a, you know, like a castaway would be and he's floating. And we, we don't know much here in the Inland Empire about dangerous storms. <laughs> we're not, we're not known for having dangerous storms. You know, we get the storm watch, uh, 2017 occasionally on the news and, you know, there's, there's these storm watch, but we don't really know that much about dangerous storms. This past winter was probably the wettest winter we've had in a decade. And so, that was refreshing for, for many of us here, and it was good for our state and the drought that we've been in. Up in Northern California, they know a lot more rain than we typically, you know, know by experience. The, the, the grounds there were, were saturated in Northern California, and, and in many places down here as well. Like, we just didn't know what to do with more rain in our, in our, uh, uh I wouldn't say land, because we don't have a lot of land out here either, but, you know, we, we just don't know what to do. But up there, they, they get a lot more rain, and because of that, there were some major concerns this uh, year about 
just dangerous kind of dams and spillways that they were concerned about. If these things go, we could really have some problems, both in Southern California with water supply. And so they were watching very carefully some of the dams in Northern California. I want to show you a video uh, of a scene that is really a, a common occurrence in parts of California where there are properties uh, that are built on hillsides and sometimes you've got these storms that come through and the, and the ground just gets so saturated or uh, the foundation is, is beginning to have problems and the storm comes and just uh, houses get wiped out. And so here's what happened to a home. This is a home in San Rafael. This is in the Bay Area this past February. And I want to talk about kind of this issue of the aftermath and what, what, what do we do when we're uh, when, when things really fall apart. So let, let's watch this video of this, this house that begins to collapse, okay? Can you imagine, I mean, hearing the sounds of, of your house kind of buckling and you knowing there's something wrong right now? Thankfully, the father had the sense to say, something's wrong, we got to get out. I mean, I think probably some areas where there is uh, high rain and sloping and, and on the properties, um, people are probably a little more aware of the potential for these kinds of landslides. And um, But the, the, the father knew... Something's wrong. He heard creaking and, and buckling, and so he rushed his family out. And they, they were able to get out of the house seconds before this thing started shifting. Notice the garage had already collapsed. So the garage was already collapsed, and then the rest of the house fell. And, but, I mean, imagine you being in that situation where, where you hear something buckling, and then you, you run out of the house. Can you imagine that experience? You barely escape, and then you watch kind of in a state of shock as, as this mudslide breaks the home apart and just things collapse at first it, it it would seem surreal i think you know like what just happened especially if it happened just in a matter of minutes and and we weren't really prepared for that uh, we would be just trying to wrestle with what does this mean now this is going to take a lot of work to rebuild how are we going to rebuild this who's going to help us rebuild this uh, thankfully those people are all safe but this is often how it is with the various storms in our lives, we often do not prepare in advance. Many times, with the real storms of life, we don't prepare for them. More often than not, we, we find ourselves trying to rebuild after the, the chaos, after the disaster. When we're in the aftermath, we find ourselves more uh, needing to rebuild. Relationships are fragile. You know, maybe in our mind we have a concern in the back of our mind that maybe we should stop and address the way that we're relating, maybe with our spouse, or with our kids, and maybe that's a thought. Maybe I should stop at some point and, and address some things. But we often do not stop to address the concerns. And then the storm arrives. 
And then we're in the aftermath. Or, or maybe there's problems at work and we think, man, well, we should probably address the way that I, I handle these things and it seems like I've got to work on some things. But we, again, if we fail to stop, we suddenly lose our job. And, and here it is again, we're, we're in the aftermath. Or, or maybe we're pushing the envelope with our finances and, and then an unexpected expense comes. We gotta pay for something we had not planned on paying for. And then everything just begins to come crashing down because our, uh, there's no margin maybe in our lives. And these kinds of storms in life are disheartening. And, and they lead to serious despair. Last week we celebrated Easter here and we, we saw how Jesus wants to help us rebuild from wherever we are when we connect with Him. Here's a, here's a photo of the group that we showed an interview of. Oh, we don't have a photo. Okay, no photo. Uh, last Sunday, we, we shared some stories of five adults from our church who who've had their hopes restored through Jesus. He has rebuilt their lives. He's, he's rebuilt many of your lives. And... and and He wants to work with us and He wants to help us do that. He wants to help us rebuild. And as we heard last week, some of us discover that we need to rebuild our lives on an entirely different foundation. That's what those folks were sharing last week is they needed to rebuild on a new foundation. They couldn't just keep building on their current one. They actually needed to start over and, and commit their lives to follow Jesus Christ. Jesus and God's Word are that rock-solid foundation that cannot be shaken, like what we just had sung about. And some people, last Sunday, they chose to make a shift in their lives at Easter and have yielded their lives to follow Jesus Christ. There was a a few adults that decided in our service to do that and asked Jesus to become the boss, the Lord of their life. And in fact, some of you might be mulling on that right now, considering the barriers, counting the cost of following Jesus, and really wrestling through, do I need a new foundation? Do I need a new foundation? For others, we, we discover that we may only need to shore up some cracks in our foundation. Maybe we have at some point in our life decided to follow Christ in the past, but then possibly we've gotten off track and begun to go our own way in some areas, and we find that things are starting to crumble and unravel. Regardless of where you're at, God will graciously help us wherever we are. And as you dig into Scripture, you find this out. God's wisdom, and this is the top of your listening guide, God's wisdom is what we need to rebuild in the aftermath. There's something, there's a, this word wisdom is where we're, we're going to focus on in this series. Defining what wisdom is, defining how you get wisdom, what, what does it take, what's the path to get there, what gets in the way of, of gaining wisdom. We need wisdom, especially when we're trying to rebuild, when we're lying in the rubble, when we're, you know, when we're sitting there in the dirt and in the dust of the storms of life, we are far more open to outside input. Some of us, in fact, are all ears. It's like when we're in the aftermath, God has our attention. God, I'm listening. And so at this point, we need God's wisdom when we're standing there in the ruins. Uh, wisdom is this. Wisdom is the ability to make the best choice in the flow of life. The ability to make the best choice in the flow of life. Now, I've had enough pain in some areas of life where I've stopped and finally realized, hey Josh, your own insight just keeps failing. My hit points where I, where I, I, I know this. Josh, you need to know what the best choice is right now. You need wisdom here. Josh, your family needs to know what the best choices right now. 
Josh, the church needs you to know God's wisdom because you need to be able to lead with the best decisions possible. You need wisdom. Uh, in your life, you need wisdom. We, we hit these points where, where we recognize, gosh, I, 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 I'm limited in my thinking. I'm limited in my understanding here. Now, the best choice, this definition of wisdom, wisdom is the ability to make the best choice in the flow of life. It's the choice, that, it's the one that honors God. It's the one that honors God and helps us make progress towards the right goals. That's, that's wisdom. It's choices that are in line with His ways that actually lead us towards the best goals. The ones that He would say are the right ones. Wisdom can give us a great advantage in life. With God's wisdom, we can respond well in the flow of life. If there's a storm that we need to know how to respond, uh, the wise person, the wise path, minimizes the damage uh, wisdom helps us choose the right goals. As we face decisions about our future, wisdom helps us, uh, you know, your, some of your pivotal points in your life. And you're needing to know, what are the right goals that, that should influence my decisions right now? Some of you are trying to choose career paths. Some of you are trying to figure out, what am I going to do in the next few months, next few years? I've got to make some decisions. You need wisdom to know, what are the right goals? Otherwise, you, you end up wasting years, wasting time, wasting uh, money. With wisdom, we can find the better path. If, if I'm wise, if you're wise, then we can turn to God and God helps us from going this way and He helps us pivot and start moving a totally different direction. We can pivot with wisdom and if we're, if we're willing to listen to God, then, then we can pivot and take a step in the best direction as we deal with life. Some of the storms that we experience in life, we create by our own foolish choices. Some of the storms we, we experience in life are are created by other people who make foolish choices and it, 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 it comes our way. The storm starts heading our direction because of the choices of others. It turns out that the aftermath is an opportunity-rich time for us to grow in wisdom. It's an opportunity-rich time. The aftermath. When you're in the rubble, you're, you're, God's got our attention at this point. And God, He wants to help us make the most of these times so we don't just keep repeating the same mistakes over and over, living the same decade, the same years in the aftermath. In Proverbs where we learn a lot about wisdom. So in the book of Proverbs, it's almost in the middle of your Bible. It's near the middle of the Bible. It's in the Old Testament. But in the book of Proverbs, wisdom is personified, I mean, takes on a character, and she has a very different approach to education than we find in our current educational system in the U.S. Wisdom wants to teach us things, but it looks very different than, than this environment. We're typically used to the classroom environment. We learn in the classroom, right? This is where we gain our understanding and our knowledge. This is where we gain skills and, and, and info. And Wisdom comes to us very different than in the classroom. In our country, we, we, we tend to think that this is where we learn about life. But wisdom actually challenges that thought. When you see what wisdom is saying to us in Proverbs chapter 1, <clears throat> and in Proverbs chapter 8, you, you find, wow, wisdom is coming differently than just signing up for a class. How do I get more wisdom? You, you don't sign up for that class. And so, there's some, there's some things that set the stage for wisdom to flow into our life. We're going to look at those. It's important to understand up front where we learn wisdom. Chapter 1 of Proverbs shows us that wisdom itself, look at uh, 1 verse 20 and 21. Wisdom cries aloud. 
in the street, in the markets. She raises her voice at the head of the noisy streets. She cries out at the entrance of the city gates. She speaks. Now life is wisdom's laboratory. Real life is wisdom's lab. We learn wisdom in the middle of relating and handling our responsibilities. We don't learn wisdom in a textbook or in a classroom, but we learn wisdom in real life. She is speaking to us through the choices that you and I make. Hey, stop it. She's shouting at us. Look at these verses. Crying aloud in the streets. In the market, she raises her voice. You know, she's, she's trying to get our attention above the noise of, of life in the real world. We make a decision. Listen up. That was a bad choice. Listen up. You know, we, we actually have to tune our ears in. We start reading in Proverbs 1. It's, Incline your, your heart. Tune in your ears to wisdom. There's this, this sense that you got to really be leaning into it. So life is wisdom's lab. She's speaking to us through many things in life. That's why, that's why the aftermath is such an opportunity-rich time. Or an opportunity-rich environment for learning wisdom. wisdom. Wisdom goes on. Look at verse 22 and 23. It calls towards some different groups of people. Okay, how long, wisdom, wisdom, now speaking, how long, O oh simple ones, will you love being simple? So one of the groups that wisdom's trying to get attention of is, is people who've yet to really commit their way in life. They're not necessarily moving in a foolish direction, and they're not moving in a wise direction. They're just kind of, just kind of riding the fence, somewhat naive on, on how life works. It could go this way, it could go that way. Wisdom wants to get a hold of you if you're in that point where you're not really sure how life works yet. You could make your life about, you know, any, any number of things. Wisdom's trying to get our attention when we're in that state. How long will you love being simple? And then it says, how long will scoffers delight in their scoffing? This word scoffer has to do with being a, a person who's mocking or ridiculing. Okay, like, they have a way of life and they kind of scoff or look down on other people's way. It's a judging, it's a, I've got, I've got a corner on the market, it's, I have a sense on things, and it's, 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 it's an attitude of superiority. How long will scoffers delight in their scoffing wisdom saying, how long are you going to keep doing this? Or, he says, uh, how long will fools hate knowledge? The fool that is described here in the, in the Hebrew language is, it's a word that's kaseel, is the Hebrew term, and it means the easy way fool. It's the person who looks for the easiest path, the path of least resistance, often using lying, laziness, just looking for shortcuts, looking for quick fixes, magic keys. You know, wisdom saying, hey, if you're looking for the easy road, how long are you going to hate knowledge, real knowledge? How long are you going to do that? That's what wisdom is shouting at this approach to, to the approach that we might take. Notice how wisdom isn't isn't very uh, building of our self-esteem so far. It's not very considerate of our feelings. Wisdom's kind of harsh you get in this passage. Calling us names, simple, foolish, scoffer. Wisdom's really just kind of up in our face. Now, verse 23, it says, If you turn, wisdom says, If you turn at my reproof, that's like a correction, where we're, we're corrected, we're reproved. If you turn at my reproof, behold, I will pour out my spirit to you. I will make my words known to you. 
There is great care taken in the educational process to protect the feelings of pupils, right? When you're in classroom, you, you know, teachers are supposed to care for the way that the students feel. But again, we need to understand that protecting our feelings is not wisdom's number one concern. Wisdom's goal is not to make us feel bad, but wisdom belongs to the Lord and He is kind and gracious. God is kind and gracious, but wisdom's primary goal isn't, again, it's not to to stroke our ego. It's not to build our self-esteem. She's concerned about growth. She wants us to grow. She doesn't want us to stay foolish, mockers, simple, immature, Stuck in the aftermath. She wants us to grow. And so she's shouting at us to get our attention here. Wisdom's approach here is not principles first and then correction later if, need, you know, if needed. It, it turns this around. Wisdom actually starts often with correction. It's correction first and if it's heeded, if we, if we heed the correction, then principles begin to be poured out. Verse 23 is talking about this. Correction first. So in the aftermath, we don't always want correction. We want encouragement. Oftentimes, when we're lying in the rubble, we want someone to come alongside and support us and encourage us and affirm us. And so it takes some time to really turn the corner to listen to God's wisdom. But it's helpful to learn to make sharper and sharper turns towards wisdom because uh, it comes to us very different than... Wisdom relates to us Different than the way that God relates. God, God is so kind and gracious with us. Wisdom is not kind and gracious with us as you, as you read about the way wisdom flows into our life. Now there's really two attitudes, and we're going to keep flushing out this idea of what is wisdom and how do we get it, but there's two attitudes in scripture that set the stage for growing in wisdom. Now, if you're, if you're aiming to climb a mountain, like let's say Mount Everest, I'll, I'll never do, I, I don't know if I should say never, but I'll, I'll never do that, okay? I'll, I'll likely never do that. I, know, I have no you know, aspiration to do that, no desire to do that. But if you were aiming to climb Mount Everest, then you, you, do, you, you, you go in stages, and there's staging areas. There's a final staging area at a base camp where you gather yourself and you gather you know, your belongings and make sure you have everything you need to climb the summit, okay? There's some, and at this staging point, there's, there's some things you have to do if you're going to reach this, this summit. It's the same way with wisdom. If you're going to experience, or if, if wisdom's going to flow into your life, there's some staging that needs to happen. There's, there's actually some prerequisites. Okay? And so these two attitudes prepare us for wisdom to flow in our life. And if we develop these attitudes more and more, we can actually turn the corner more quickly to learn from our problems. And so the first attitude is this. It's the fear of the Lord. In Proverbs 1, you see a connection between the fear of the Lord, this idea of fearing God, and wisdom. Look at, this, is, this actually comes up in Proverbs 9, 10, and also comes up in Proverbs 1, verse 7. Proverbs 9, 10 reads, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. Proverbs 1 7 says essentially the same thing about the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The word beginning here is it's the idea of a breakthrough point. Okay? When we fear God, we're breaking through into a realm of wisdom. That's the breakthrough point for the realm of wisdom. To fear God means that you take God seriously. 
It's very different. We don't have a good English equivalent to the Hebrew idea of fearing God. Okay? In, 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 our, in our Western minds, when we hear fear, we think phobia. Like fear of spiders. I don't know what you're afraid of, but I don't like creepy crawly uh, things. I don't like snakes. I really don't like snakes. I've been bit by a snake. I saw a snake this week. It freaked me out. But I had to get a picture of it because I was safe in my car. And I was driving by the Skechers outlet on the 60 freeway right there. And I pulled off. I was like, oh, let's see what this Skechers outlet's all about. So we get off. As we're driving back to the, to the highway, we see this, no joke, six to seven foot long rattlesnake slithering down towards, towards us. And I'm like freaking out, but I'm realizing I'm in a car. I'm okay. You know. So then I stopped the car. I asked him, well, roll the windows down. Let's get this thing. And so I got on. If you want to see it, I've got it on my phone. It's amazing. This huge snake coming towards our car. And it stopped because we stopped. And it, it just just chilling in the road. And then I'm like, let's get pictures. Bad move, Josh. Because then it stopped. And, and then uh, other cars almost crunched that thing. So it didn't. It, it lived. I want to tell you up front. Okay? If you're a snake lover. It's, it's hanging out in the other side, and these semis are coming by, and trucks are coming by, and we're like, oh no! And it just goes right over the top of the thing, and uh, it's safe. And so it finally slithered it away. But I was amazed at how massive this thing was. But I have a fear of these things. I don't, I don't want to get out of that car. My daughter, she has a fear of snakes. She was freaking out, even though we were in the car. She was buckled up, and there's no way this thing can a jumping, you know, it's not a jumping snake. It was, she was safe. But what are you afraid of? Sometimes we hear this idea of fear of, of God and we think we equate it to the fear that we have of mice or you know, rats or tarantulas or snakes or the dark. Whatever it is, you know, or heights. This is a different idea. The word here in, in Hebrew, we, we think phobia, right? That's, you know, we, in the Greek we talk about phobos. That's the Greek word that's where we get our, our fear of you know, the dark or whatever. In the Hebrew, the word is yireh. And it's, very, it's a different idea. It has to do with respect and honor that is due to someone. I, I fear, I respect the line. They're in a different place. It's like, I respect, this is the boss. I'm not the boss. I, I have a healthy fear of the boss. Like, I need to, I, I need to, be, I need to remember that, that there's a... There's a certain level of honor that's due. There's a certain level of respect that's due for the boss. Or it's you know, other people that have authority. There's, the, you know, the law. They, they, they have a certain level of respect that is due them. But when it comes to God, we, underst- we, we come to understand how powerful He is, how much He has done, what He is capable of. Uh, we, we begin to understand more and more about God and we recognize He, he is uh, he's not like me. He's not like us. He's, he is, as we get to know Him through His Word, we start seeing this sense of awe. Like, wow, God, You are amazing. There's this healthy fear. We take Him more seriously. We honor Him. And it's, it's because He is due that honor and respect. He's the one who made us. And so the, the fearing God, it doesn't mean that you run from God. It just means that you understand who He is and who you are in relationship to Him. Now, when you're tunneling through a mountain, there's a breakthrough point when you come to the other side. I think I have a picture of this. If you were, you know, you see this, let's say you're doing this effort of excavating or tunneling through this mountain, you punch through the other side and you see the light. 
This verse here is saying the fear of the Lord is the breakthrough point to wisdom. You want to experience wisdom, the starting point is you you have to fear God. You have to take Him seriously. It's basically choosing to factor God into your life and take Him seriously. You're breaking through at that point is the realm of wisdom. It's a critical starting point. Now, I believed in God at a young age. I, th- I think it was just something I, I accepted early on. Probably had a lot to do with the family I was raised in. I believed him, in Him at a young age, but I didn't hit the point of fearing God until I was 18. And that's when I really started taking Him seriously. Up to that point, God was true, but He was not real. He was true, but not real. I didn't really fear Him and respect Him and give Him the honor that was due in my life. I just acknowledged, okay, you're God. And now, from this point of fearing Him, we can begin to learn. Look at what Proverbs 15.33 says. The fear of the Lord is instruction in wisdom, and humility comes before honor. This is where, again, you know, we break through into wisdom. Practically, fearing God means you start to learn the boundaries He set for life, and you stay inside of the boundaries. This is wise. This is why Proverbs 19.23 says, The fear of the Lord leads to life. Leads to life. If you have a fear of God, you take His, you take Him seriously, you take His Word seriously, that leads to life. Whoever has it rests satisfied. You mean, you can go to sleep at night having lived a life where you're fearing God. You can, you can go to bed and you can be satisfied. You don't have to rest with like anxiety over, oh my gosh, is everything going to unravel? He will not be visited by harm. God's boundaries for life are, are, are keeping us and protecting us from going off cliffs. His commands and principles you know, that we find in the Bible, when we fear Him and we take those seriously, we're protected. This is the picture here. It's like fearing God is like living within the guardrails. Heading up a dangerous road, but there's these guardrails. Fearing God is where we stay on His path, we take Him seriously, protected. If you don't take God seriously and you don't fear Him, it's like driving without guardrails. Here's, you know, a road in Colorado. This is the road to Pikes Peak. Okay? And so, you know, you're up pretty high at this point. Without guardrails, it's much easier to crash and burn and then disaster. If you fear God, though, you realize God is involved in every area of my life and He's responding to the choices I make by blessing or by allowing me to experience the consequences of my wrong choices. And so if we take God seriously, we turn to Him in the aftermath of trouble to ask Him for help. God, should I, should I rebuild on this hill or that hill? Or that hill. God, show me. And so we, we, we begin to look to His Word. We, we dig in and we say, God, show me specifically. I, I, I'm taking you seriously. I believe you're interacting with me. And then wisdom flows into our life. It starts with fearing God, taking Him and His Word seriously. Then wisdom begins to flow into our life. Now the second attitude that sets the stage for growing in wisdom is humility. Humility. Again, Proverbs 1 talks about this link. And you see it. It's, the verses you got referenced there are uh, Proverbs 11:2. But if you were to if you were to look in your Bible to Proverbs 1, verse 24, I'm going to read this to you. It's not up on the screen, but it says, "Wisdom is still speaking." He says, "Because I've called you, and you refused to listen, you've stretched. I've stretched out my hand, and no one has heeded. Because you have ignored all my counsel and would have none of my reproof." 
Wisdom says, I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when terror strikes you. So there's this picture again of wisdom saying, I'm trying to get your attention, but you're laughing at me. Or you're, no, he's, sorry, wisdom is, is laughing at the calamity. He's saying, I'm trying to get your attention, but you refuse to listen. I'm stretching out my, my hand to you, but no one's heeding. You've ignored my counsel. You've, you've, you know, it's like turned your nose up in the air. I don't, I don't need to listen. I don't need to listen to this. This is the picture of a person who has got life figured out. They don't need God. They don't need answers. They don't need others' insights. They've got it figured out. And, and humility, this is why humility is so critical for growing in wisdom. Look at Proverbs 11.2. When pride comes, pride is the problem that the human race deals with. When pride comes, then comes disgrace. But with the humble is wisdom. You don't find a wise person who's arrogant. They may seem wise for a little while, but it starts unraveling. Humility sets us up to grow in wisdom because the humble don't blow themselves up out of proportion. When someone gets into pride, or when someone is into pride, is dealing with a situation, they see themselves as the most important person in the situation. And it distorts their perspective, just like looking into a carnival mirror. Here's a... You know, you, maybe you've been into the fun house before at the carnival where you look in the mirror at the fun house and your head is like stretched out. There's a carnival app, I think, nowadays on the iPhone or, you know, there's a picture app where you can, you see yourself and your head gets all distorted and your head gets big and chubby or, or, you know, long or whatever. And this is what pride does. It, it stretches us out. It inflates our thinking about who we really are. We can't see clearly. For instance, pride sets us up for disgrace, this verse says. Sets us up for disgrace. In our finances, we think, you know, we deserve the best things. And so we start overextending ourselves and giving ourselves permissions. We, we shouldn't give ourselves for maybe the, uh, the reality of our lives. Humility helps us avoid pushing the envelope in that way. Humble people are, are really a joy to relate to in, in the family, at work. They don't always know what's best. They're a joy to relate because you, you, don't, you can actually relate to them. You, there's, there's, a, there's an interaction, there's a dialogue with humble people. They're willing to admit when they're wrong. They're willing to admit when they're mistaken. Um, pride is a problem because it is so easy to deceive ourselves and miss our need for humility. You might be a person who, who everyone goes to for help. Maybe your, your phone just you know, is ringing off the hook. Or maybe text constantly, hey, I need some advice, need some time, need some, need some input. Or you might be an expert in your field. You might be the person that just has real insight into a specific field. Or you, you might be, and your insight might be bringing you all sorts of praise. You might be the, you know, a jack of all trades. Um, having pride in your accomplishments, being an expert, having some experiences. But those things might be holding you back from humbling yourself. And so this is an area to constantly check through the years and the decades of your life. Is In all my growth, in all my insight, in all my experiences, am I still humbling myself? Because humility keeps the, the flow of wisdom into our life. Pride will block that very quickly. To mean... Uh, to be humble means that I choose an attitude of respect or deference towards other people, and also towards God. I'm, I'm, I'm humbling myself before others before the, and before the Lord. And this makes us really a magnetic person. Humility, humble people are like magnets. They, others are drawn to them. They want to spend time with them because there's interaction going on. 
in the family with humility. Your spouse is drawn towards you because you don't always have to be right. You can look to their interest. Now that's hard. Sometimes I get, get in a situation and I'm like, I know I'm right on this one. And I'm going to go ahead and let her go. And Okay. But I've already locked, I've already decided I'm, I'm right. And if I, as a pattern, take on that approach, that, that's like, it's repulsive. There's no way I'm going to draw my spouse towards me if, if I'm a proud husband. So I, 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 have to, I have to defer. I have to choose to humble myself and, and, and seek her interests at points and, and get her input and, and look to her interests genuinely. And bring, as we're interacting, bring that to the Lord. Our kids, if you're a parent, you know, we want it to be to where our kids want to spend time with us because they actually sense that we are for them and we're, we're trying to help them with their goals. doesn't mean we give them everything that they want, but we're, we're for them. We're trying to help them with their goals. We want to help them lock onto the right types of goals, uh, but we're not trying to drive an agenda that we have for them into their lives. Again, that could be repulsive to kids. At work, the same thing. You know, People want to work with us because they, they feel like they can really trust us. And we can team together aggressively. Humility means we just take the proper place under God's authority and leadership and we show deference to the people that are in our lives in a way that really pleases God. It helps us to see life with 2020 vision. Because when we have humility, we realize we don't have all the answers and we need God's help. Wisdom keeps flowing into our life as we choose humility. Proverbs 26.12, it says, Do you see a man who's wise in his own eyes? You see someone who's wise, they've got it all figured out. There's more hope for a fool than for him. Pride, arrogance is a real problem. Humility and the fear of the Lord, it sets, they set the stage for us to grow in wisdom. The bottom line is we need to see clearly. We need God's wisdom. Have you ever found yourself at a, at a stoplight or coming up to a stoplight and the cars are stopped and you see a green light and you're like, what? what's going on? You lay on the horn. Get moving. i got somewhere to be. Why is no one moving? Maybe two, two or three cars back. Laying on your horn. Then you realize there's someone walking through the crosswalk. <laughs> Sorry. It's a good picture of, of you know, our need for wisdom. We need to see clearly. Sometimes our angle on things is just off. We're just a little too far back, a little too high, a little too low, a little too left. We just we're not seeing things from the proper perspective. So we need wisdom. Wisdom is something we don't learn in in the classroom, we learn it in the flow of real life. And so, as we wrap up, look at Proverbs 4, verses 5 through 7. This is something, it's such a priceless thing that we should give an all-out pursuit to finding it. Get wisdom. Get insight. Do not forget and do not turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her and she will keep you. Love her, speaking of wisdom, and she will guard you. The beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom and whatever you get, get insight. As we look at this over the next few weeks, God's going to challenge us to get wisdom into our life. Identify the things that, that 
that are blocking the flow of wisdom. Move towards the things that, that, uh, that accelerate our growth in wisdom so that when we're in the, the rubble, we really experience tremendous growth like no other. A couple next steps. You can see, we'll just pull both these up on the screen right now. Ask God to show me my part of the problem in the aftermath. This tied to, tied to our, our humility. And second, one, another link to humility. Take responsibility for my part of a storm and refuse to blame God or blame others. Just that we would begin to identify some of the things going on in our life. What, what have I caused, God? What have I done that has caused this? Be more open to them or to Him on, on learning in these seasons. Let's pray as we wrap up. Father, thank You for these these two areas, God, that that we can reflect on. How serious do we really take You? Do we really fear You? I mean, do, do we really factor You in? Not just, you know, up in our head. Not just, you know, on a survey, do I believe in God or not? But do I really factor you into my life? Do I believe that you bless those who walk in wisdom? And that there's real protection there? Do I really believe these things? That help me to, to go beyond just a basic understanding of who you are to actually a personal relationship with you where you guide our lives. Lord, help us to be at that place. And then, Lord, we we ask for help in this area of humility. Show us specifically the areas where we're we're acting in pride or we're, we're maybe a little too high up and we need to take some steps down, humble ourselves before you, before people in our life. Clear things up, God, if there's if you if you bring that to our mind, Lord, help us. Because we need your wisdom. Our families need us to have your wisdom. Our, our friends need us to operate in wisdom. This church, we need people of wisdom. This community around us. Lord, we need to be people who live in this community and have wisdom that people would see and be drawn to you. as they see something different in us. Lord, help us to be that kind of individual. Pinpoint any area, God, in our lives that you're you're wanting us to, to look at and to engage with and to adjust. Lord, help us to just be all ears with you, Lord, responding to what you show us. In Jesus' name, amen.